0: Morning, church. Merry Christmas. Glad you guys are here. One of the things I've always loved about our church is that we are real, and we don't hide anything. And uh, we suffer together, we live together, we do life together. This, uh, we've never tried to have a perfect church, we've just tried to be the church. And I think this is a great example of, of that, even though we're suffering and they're suffering and we're going with it together. That's what the church is supposed to be. So thanks for being here. Glad you guys are here. I'm excited about what God's going to do today, excited what the Holy Spirit's going to do in all of our hearts. And I realize I've presented a challenge to you wearing this goofy hat, but I couldn't resist the opportunity. So um, let me pray for us and we'll get started. God, we, uh, we come before you um, knowing that you're with us, knowing that you're in the midst of our suffering that you're uh, bringing comfort to us. You promised to bring comfort to the brokenhearted, and uh, we trust you knowing that you're going to do it. We don't understand things. We don't know why bad things happen. um, But we trust you knowing that you're sovereign, that you're in control, um, that you're using all of us in some small way um, to bring each other closer together and closer to you. Um, so just be with us today, open our hearts to the words that you're going to speak today, um, to the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts, and uh, we just love you and um, we're grateful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a couple uh, weeks ago, I was blessed with the opportunity to go to my friend's wedding. And my friend, um, one of my best friends, his name is Robert. He planned this wedding, and we called it, I jokingly called it a COVID wedding, um, because he didn't want to have a lot of people around. He actually went to a a wedding a year ago, got COVID at the wedding, tried to give it to me, but my immune system said no. (laughs) And um, so he was like, we got to have a COVID-free wedding, like we don't want to have a lot of people, no friends were invited, he wasn't even bringing his grandma. Um, So that tells you the level of strictness that he was trying to follow. And so me just trying to be a good friend, I was just calling him, hey, how you doing, just keeping up with wedding plans because you know everybody's crazy planning a wedding especially in November in the middle of Thanksgiving and then getting ready for this wonderful season but I was just keeping up with him and then like two weeks before his wedding he calls me and is like hey BJ can you be our DJ he's like just trying to find an excuse to get me there like I can hit a playlist like I can hit play like I'll, I'll be what you want me to be if you want me to be there I'll be there so I said yes not knowing how to do anything or what wedding playlists are like. I listen to Metallica and ACDC. Nobody wants that at a wedding. Um, so I, I'm like, yeah, I'll figure it out. I can Google stuff. So uh, a couple of weeks, uh, a week and a half later, he calls me up. He's like, BJ, you got a suit? I'm like, I can find a suit. Yeah, I think I got a suit that fits me. He's like, I want you to be in my wedding. I want you to stand next to me. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll be a groomsman in your wedding. And then on Tuesday, he gets married on Friday. He calls me on Tuesday, and he's like, BJ, you want to be my best man. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, fine, I'll be your best man. So I go out, and I buy a nice suit, because like, I can't wear the raggedy one anymore. <laughs> I write my speech. I do my speech. I show up on Friday, and I help him set up his, his, uh, his wedding. But that, That's my best, my, one of my best friends. That's Robert. Waits until Tuesday. Such a dude. Planning a wedding. Like, his wife. When I did the speech, I even told her, like, I'm sure you had all of this planned. Robert told me on Tuesday. And there's a lot of planning that goes into a wedding. I could not resist giving him a hard time. The bride is dressed in white. Everything is magical. It was a beautiful day, much prettier than today. They have handpicked guests. I was honored to be there. And they're celebrating something amazing. Even when brides go crazy, we get to watch TV shows about Bridezilla. I can't think of a better reason to have a party. Like, every wedding I've been to has been something special. It's something I remember. I do goofy, weird things at all my friends' weddings because I'm just that person. Um, They invite me still. I don't know why. Like, I tell them I'm going to destroy your car. I'm going to make a mockery of everything just because I want to. And they still invite me, but... It's something to celebrate, and that's what Christmas is is all about, is it's celebrating. So we're going to talk about grace today. We're going to talk about this promised grace, and we've been going through a sermon series talking about all these promises that God's made from Genesis all the way through the New Testament of Jesus coming, of Jesus dying and saving us. Um, Jonathan talked last week about how he brought eternal and permanent justice, and we're going to look at what does that justice look like in our lives when we're living out the gospel together. What is it supposed to look like when we are the church? Um, that's what we're gonna talk about is the effect of justice. And the fruit of God's justice is freedom, healing, favor, and comfort, all wrapped up and delivered in the life and death of Jesus and his resurrection. So that's what we're gonna talk about is the best reason to celebrate is is Jesus. What are we doing all of this for? It's not for all the sweet presents, it's for Jesus. Um, so we're going to talk about another prophecy that Isaiah spoke, 700 years before Jesus was even born. And when I think about what I ultimately want in life, when I sit down and like, what do I really want? I'm chasing peace. I'm chasing, chasing ultimate comfort. And comfort isn't in a new iPhone. Comfort isn't in a better computer or whatever X is. Ultimate comfort is satisfied permanently in Jesus. So the bottom line today is Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises, and that's why we're celebrating at Christmas. So normally the verses would be on these screens behind me, but they're not. Um, So I'm going to try and just read it a couple times and give you guys more time than I normally would to flip through since you're not seeing it at the click of a screen. Um, So we're going to be in Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. give you guys a second to get there. I'll, I'll even give you the middle school time, too. Like, if you need to go grab a Bible, there's someone each side. Like, you can grab your textbooks. It's okay. Um, Isaiah 61.3. This is Isaiah. And he's uh, speaking these words into the life of the Israelites. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garments of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. Of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So what's really cool about this passage is it's got kind of a double meaning. The, the first is he is speaking directly into their lives. He is, Isaiah is telling them, hey, the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to take you. You're going to go away and be in exile. And they're looking at the depravity of their country and just mourning. They're sad because they know after watching, so there's kind of like two kingdoms right now, the Israelites in the north. And the Judah, the the tribe of Judah, in the bottom where David was from, so the Israelites had already been sent into captivity, and here um, in Judah they're looking at their brokenness and seeing the result of their sin. So it's bringing comfort directly into their suffering. So what they're feeling, their sin and that effect, and this is speaking and bringing comfort to them, but it's also bringing comfort eternally because this is the gospel. In the Old Testament, this is about Jesus. In a world plagued by sin, the answer is Jesus. In their failure, that's when the gospel steps in. Hoping something real, hoping something external, something that they can't cause. They need the Messiah to save them. And the great, the good news is if you go back through, Bringing the good news to the poor, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He's transforming their sadness into gladness, bringing comfort to all who mourn. Their mourning is transformed. And that's what you see in this passage is the transformation of somebody who doesn't know Jesus to somebody who does. When we experience that salvation, we get to be with Jesus We're transformed into somebody who knows God, who has experienced comfort, who has experienced peace through knowing him. Our mourning is changed to gladness. Our sinful nature is replaced with God's righteousness. But this isn't just about Isaiah, because Isaiah can't really proclaim liberty. He can't set the captives free. He can't open the prison doors. He can't transform their hearts. That's Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. Everything we have ever wanted is promised in Jesus. He fulfills all of God's promises, and he calls the brokenhearted to peace and resolution. He brings us freedom. The prison doors are flung wide open so that we can escape and be with him. We don't have to be bound by the consequences of sin. We're given favor in place of wrath and comfort. He calls us uh, at the, uh, the last part that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So we are like pillars of oak, giant statues that just point to Jesus. That's what all of the result of this is, is we're not sitting here saying, look at how awesome I am, I'm amazing, come and see how good I look. It's look at what God has done. If God can do this for me, he can do this for you too. So we're pillars of oak, unshaken, and pillars of righteousness, not of ours, but of his, pointing to what he has done. Like the bride, we're clothed in, in righteousness that comes from Christ. This is that transformation. All of this, we're transformed by the gospel because he loves us. It's, um, but it's not just about us. The gospel is more than a rescue plan. It's more than a love story. It's about Jesus, about Jesus saving us, about God sending him and fulfilling all of these promises. Like that's the difference between Jesus and every other religion is He keeps his promises. He does what he's going to say, and he's done it. He's done it already. And he does all of it because it brings him glory. And the idea of getting glory, like, especially in our earthly ideas, it's like it seems very selfish, very weird. It's like we're all Ron Burgundy running around saying, hey, everybody, come and see how good I look, as we're broken messes. But the difference is when God says, hey, give me the glory, it's because he is worthy. He has done what he said he's going to do. He is perfect. He has saved us when we don't deserve it. In the midst of our sin, he saved us while we were still sinners. The gospel is about him saving us, and that brings him glory. He gets the glory because he deserves it, because he is worthy. And this is the answer to everything, to our deepest longing need. We needed a miracle. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was even born, said the miracle is coming. When Adam and Eve sinned, God said the miracle is coming. He's going to send Emmanuel to be God with us. And that's what Isaiah is talking about is he is looking forward to the Messiah coming and proclaiming liberty. To all those who are burned out, he says this at the end, He's going to give you a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. He's going to give you a crown of gladness. He's replacing our ashes of suffering with a crown of Christ. We're not worthy, but he makes us worthy. What better reason is there to celebrate at Christmas than that? Christmas is a time to celebrate. It's a time to be together, to be with family. We are A church family, it's a time to be together and gather and remember what God has done. The bottom line is Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises, and that's why we celebrate, because God keeps his promises. And 700 years later, Jesus would stand up in a synagogue and read these verses from Isaiah. If you look at Luke 4, 14 through 21, I'll give you a second to get there. Luke four, fourteen through twenty one. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and to report about him, and a report about him went out. To through all the surrounding county country excuse me and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom he went to the synagogue on the sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet isaiah was given to him he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. All the eyes of all the in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is about Jesus. And Jesus is the one with the authority and the power to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This isn't just a literal year. This is an eternity. It's a little part, a little taste of all of the goodness that God is going to bring. He's come to proclaim the good news. The Lord's favor is upon them. He's the one with the authority to proclaim liberty, to open the prison doors, to set sight to the blind so that the lame may walk. And the year of the Lord's favor is also a reference back to the year of Jubilee, If you uh, go back in Leviticus, it talks about a whole bunch of weird things, but it also talks about the year of Jubilee. It does. It's weird. A really fun thing that I used to do with the youth group, and this is off topic, is just finding weird things in in Leviticus and sit there and laugh. You can have some fun with it. Um, But the year of the Lord's favor is a year of Jubilee. And every 50 years, this was an institution that was in Leviticus, They would have a year of jubilee, and this was a time where they would set, um, they were like indentured servants, but they would be free, they would go back to their houses, they would, uh, all of their debts were paid. Um, It was a time for the field to rest, so they would stop harvesting and stop growing things and just rest for a year and live off the stores that they had. It was a time for the people to rest every 50 years. And what this does is it looks forward to an eternity of rest with God. It's a time for us to remember what God has done on our behalf. So they set up this as an institution so that they would have time to remember to reflect at least once in your life, presumably. And this freedom looked forward to the ultimate freedom that was given to us in Christ. It's Christ proclaiming a year of jubilee for, for all of eternity, where the prison doors are open, the captives are set free, the uh, burden of sin has been paid. And that's what Christ is proclaiming, a year of the Lord's favor, an eternity of favor with God. Something that we don't have to earn, something that we don't have to do to achieve. God achieved it through Christ. And the Jews, after this, they instituted a few different traditions as well. Passover, um, they had Hanukkah. All of these were moments to hit the pause button and to reflect on what has God done in your life? What has he been doing? To think back on his favor that he has shown us. Um, Christ instituted a few as well, the Lord's Supper. We practice that regularly here. And that's a time to hit the pause button and to think, what has God done? What is God doing? Where is he leading me? We celebrate Easter, the same reason. What has God done? What is he doing? Where is he leading me? It's time to hit the pause button. He sent his son to be with us, to destroy the depravity in our hearts and call us to be a part of his as a new creation. The problem is we're all short-sighted. A few good things happen, and we just roll. We think life is good again. Life is going to stay being good, and we become lethargic. We get comfortable. Not the good kind of comfort, but the lazy kind of comfort, the Netflix kind. These celebrations are a time to wake up, to come together, to remember the reasons that we have to be joyful, because we can get so lost in the circumstances of our life. It's so easy to complain, so easy to forget. But they encourage us not just to be together, but to remember why we're together, to remember the unity that comes in Christ. All of these celebrations point to Jesus, and they point to an eternity with him. They point to an eternity that starts now. It's not like we're waiting to die to have eternity, but we're in that now. Um, Jesus fulfilled all of God's promises. There is no better reason to celebrate. These celebrations tell us who we are in relation to one another. They tell us who we are in relation to God. They tell us where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. That's When I, when I rest, that's what I look back on, is where has God been? Because he's been there, even in the midst of my darkest days and saddest moments, God has been there. I can laugh a lot, and I make the joke often that I shouldn't be alive, um, because all the silly, dumb things that I've done, all the weird things that have happened, but it's, it's impossible not to see God's hand moving. That's not to say he's not in other people's hands when they've been dealt a worse hand in other people's lives, but... God is with all of us, and that's what we're celebrating this Christmas season, celebrating those moments. And when Jesus comes back, we will be clothed as his bride. We will be wearing his righteousness. If you look at Revelations 19, 7 through 8, I'll give you a chance to get to the end. Revelations nineteen seven through eight Pulling the awkward teacher silence move, listening for paper moving. Revelations nineteen seven through eight says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. It's no surprise when you think about it, Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding, making wine or water into wine. He uses the analogy in the wedding the marriage analogy is all throughout the Bible of us being married to Jesus. It's to help us understand our relationship with him. Jesus paid the dowry on our behalf. The dowry was his life. That was the bride price. All of this was done on our behalf, and all of it brings God the most glory. We get to have a relationship with Him, we get to know Him, be a part, and fellowship together and celebrate what God has done. Let's pray.